Hi, this is Doug Beecham. Thank you for joining me as we start our podcast back from taking a break over the holiday season in the United States between Thanksgiving and New Year's. We're starting uh, for the year 2020. So I pray that uh, you will have a wonderful year uh, as we grow in God's Word and we grow as uh, followers of Jesus. And as we, particularly those of us that are part of the IPHC, we grow in what God's called us to do and to be uh, as a denomination and a movement around this world. If you are just picking up with me uh, here as we start in January 2020, I want to invite you to go back. Uh, you, the, these podcasts actually began back in the summer of uh, 2019. And in particular, I began our current study, which is a study of the book of Hebrews. I began that uh, back in November of, uh, of, of 2019. And this is the fourth of the podcast that is focused on the book of Hebrews. So if you wanted to catch up, most of those are 12 to 13 minutes in length, and uh, they're pretty easy to follow and, and keep up. And so I encourage you to do that. If you will, I want you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. This is the fourth in our study of the book of Hebrews, and we're going to continue now, uh, really sort of in the middle of Hebrews, down around, down around verse 10. And I, I want to help you, if you're just catching up with me, there's this great commentary. Uh, it's part of the New International Commentary series on the New Testament, the Epistle to the Hebrews. It's written by Dr. Gareth Lee Cockerell. Gareth is G-A-R-E-T-H, Lee, L-E-E, Cockerell, C-O-C-K-E-R-I-L-L. I'm using this particular commentary uh, for two reasons. Number one, it's obviously a very, very good commentary. It's a large commentary, very, very well documented. But number two, I happen to know Gareth Lee Cockerell personally. Uh, He was working on his... Uh, doctoral dissertation at Union Theological Seminary in Richmond, Virginia, when I was also a student at that seminary. So uh, he he's taught at Wesley Theological Seminary. I think he's retired now, but um, he uh, brings a perspective on Hebrews that I think many of you would find insightful and and valuable, not only in terms of the uh, the minutia of dealing into the text, but in terms of the spiritual impact that comes out of this text. So, as we begin here for 2020, in lesson four of our study of Hebrews, uh, I want you to open your Bibles and let's begin at verse 10 of, of Hebrews chapter 2, keeping in mind now that what we are specifically looking at in Hebrews is how the Old Testament scriptures are used by the writer of Hebrews, and Israel's history and specific kinds of texts are used as this writer, who, by the way, Cockerell calls the pastor, that as this pastor in, in preparing this sermon that he's, think of this as him preaching to his flock, that he is tying together the Old Testament with the fulfillment of that Old Test of the Old Testament in the person of Jesus Christ. So when we get to chapter two of Hebrews, verse ten, you you have this passage: for it became him, 
for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. This is where we find that the purpose of Jesus, obedience to the will of the Father. In in this verse, you have a connection with creation. That is God's purpose. It connects creation with God's purpose of bringing many sons to glory. The creation theme, you can see that is tied together with for whom are all things and by whom are all things. Uh, This is not a new idea just to to the pastor and the writer of Hebrews. You find this in uh, uh, the opening chapter of the Gospel of John where this issue of Jesus being present at creation is indicated. You find it in Ephesians. You find it in Colossians that Jesus is, is identified as being present and active in creation. His purpose in what he does is to bring many sons to glory. And he does that, Jesus does that by his own sacrificial obedience. And he does that. He makes the captain of our salvation perfect or complete through sufferings. That word captain, uh, akagos, uh, the, the chief leader. That's who Jesus is. This word captain is going to be used again in Hebrews. It's used in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And there, though, it's translated as, in many of our English translations, as author, like the author of a book. In Hebrews 12, 2, the ideas of Jesus as the leader, the author, the initiator, the finisher, the perfecter of our faith are all brought together, even as they are brought together in Hebrews 2, 12 where there, again, the captain is, is made perfect. That is, there's a completion of who he is through what he suffered. We continue in verse 11, that the sufferings of Jesus are the ways that Jesus sanctifies us. We participate in his grace-filled act that he has done for us in all of his suffering. You know, for those of us who are out of the Wesleyan holiness tradition, It's important for us to remember as we think about sanctification that we receive the benefits of sanctification the same way we receive the benefits of justification, that is, by faith in what Christ has done. We are not sanctified by our works. We're not sanctified by our own goodness. Rather, we are sanctified by what Christ has done for us. Now, we see this, the outflow of this as we continue reflecting on this. It's because of Jesus' victory, a victory that accomplishes the work of salvation, not only by removing us, removing our, our real guilt uh, of the sins we've actually committed, but also of setting us apart as holy for God, which was really our original purpose in the Garden of Eden. It's because of this victory, it's because of what Jesus has accomplished, that Jesus, and you see this uh, particularly in verse 11, Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers. And in, a, in the environment in which we live uh, today, uh, we don't mean brothers, and the text doesn't mean brothers in any uh, misogynistic way. It's us as people, brothers and sisters, men and women. He is not ashamed to call us that, that we are his brothers and sisters. Do you realize what that means? There's nothing lacking in the provision of Jesus whereby he looks at us and, and he, 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 
He doesn't see us with shame. He sees us through the fulfillment of what he did at Calvary. I want you to think of the story there. You remember the episode in John 8, verses 2 through 12, where the woman there is caught in adultery. Did you notice that Jesus stands with her? And then Jesus knelt with her. He kneels with her, and he does so even though she is full of shame and embarrassment and is expecting to be stoned. Jesus kneels with her, and instead of looking at her and seeing shame, he sees someone that he is willing to call his sister. His closing words to her are, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. And really, even though the pericope sort of ends at verse 12, I'm really convinced that uh, at, at verse 11, I'm really convinced that the pericope continues on into uh, John 8, 12, where his closing words to her accusers are not simply, which of you, uh, you know, you pick up the first stone. I think his closing words really are, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall walk in darkness. I, uh, I shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Shame lurks in the darkness. This woman caught in the act of adultery and what she thought was a, a closed, private place of sin is exposed, brought out into the light, and where in that light the accusers want to condemn her according to the law. Jesus comes and wants to bring grace and hope to her in the middle of that and, and gives her the newness of life that all of us long for. These issues, they are connected to Psalm 22, 22, to, um, to 2 Samuel 22, 3, also to Isaiah chapter 8, verses 17 and 18. Think about this in terms of the relationship of suffering and, and, and being sanctified. Psalm 22 is messianic. It's related to the suffering of Jesus. You can hear it in this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Words that Jesus uttered while suffering on the cross. Later in Psalm 22, verses 6 and 8, they also reflect Jesus' experience on the cross. Uh, he says, I am a reproach of men. I'm despised by the people. You hear in that an echo of Isaiah 53. Back in Psalm 22, all those who see me ridicule me. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. And then verses 16 and 18 of Psalm 22, they pierced my hands and my feet. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But at the conclusion of these prophecies that refer to Jesus as suffering and humiliation, the Lord answers his obedient son in Psalm 22, 21. And in response, the son declares in verse 22, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise, I, I will praise you. And there you find that in Hebrews 2, verse 12. 2 Samuel 22, 3 is cited in Hebrews 2, 13a. I will put my trust in him. This is taken from David's song of deliverance when God delivered him from the hand of Saul and all of his enemies. Isaiah 8, 17 and 18 is a prophetic word given through the prophet Isaiah, giving encouragement to Judah during the threat of Assyrian conquest. It is a call to remember that God will not fail his word. 
to faithfully wait on the Lord, to trust for deliverance that extends uh, beyond one's own life to the lives of one's children. Uh, you can you see that in verse 13 of, of Hebrews 2. And again, again, citing the Isaiah 8 passage, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God has given me. Think of this, the work of Christ on the cross reaches from generation to generation. Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places, transcends time and place. His accomplishment covers every generation in every place. The extent of his victory is what it means for us to say, but we see Jesus. The extent of this victory is that God, is that Jesus has destroyed the devil and his power of death. Jesus has brought release to all who live their lives fearful of death and in bondage of condemnations. condemnation. Jesus took upon himself everything necessary to give aid and hope to the seed of Abraham, not just to those who are of physical descent, but to those who have faith as Abraham had faith. The pastor's sermon tied together the promise to Abraham, a promise made real by faith, and through that promise connects the covenant made through Moses and revealed through the work of the high priest. Jesus, as you see at the end of chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus is a merciful and faithful high priest who makes propitiation for the sins of the people. Merciful means that the demands of the law, the Torah, and our failure to meet those demands are met by mercy through the provision that the high priest Jesus makes for us in his own sacrifice. This anticipates the connection of Jesus as both the high priest and as the Lamb of God. And Hebrews 2 closes with hope for all who were tempted. On the cross, Jesus took every temptation known to humanity, faced it in all of its allurement and power, prevailed over it in his obedient suffering, and is able to provide aid and help for all who are being tempted. There's a connection here between Hebrews 2.18 and Jude verse 24. Jesus is able to keep you from falling. What a great hope that is for us. What a great encouragement that is for us. So as you think of this and these themes, by the way, of Jesus' victory, his actions as the high priest in regard to temptation are going to come back for us in the next few weeks as we continue to, to work our way through this part of Hebrews. Well, thank you for joining me. I look forward to seeing you next week or, or, or having you join me as we listen together. And we're going to move into Hebrews chapter 3. So I encourage you to take time between now and, and next week. Take time to read Hebrews chapter 3. God bless you.